Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Do you teach your kids the proper anatomical words for their body parts? I really am getting a ride out of this whole uh, situation of teaching kids proper names for body parts and more so the reaction of adults. So I'll share a little bit about that with you later because we're going to talk about how to talk a little bit to your kids about you know, age-appropriate context for where they're at in addressing everything from sexuality to gender, mommies, daddies, that you can't have two of the same. Uh, we'll talk about that today on Trending. Uh, we're also going to talk about what the Christian response to Pride Month is. Things are raging, and we haven't even begun Pride Month. That starts tomorrow. So this is your kickoff, and I think it's important because two things have happened over the last month. Uh, there has been an absolute revelation with regard to the WHO, the World Health Organization, and their recommendations for school curriculum for infants, toddlers, basically children and babies aged zero to four. It is shocking. It is shocking. And actually, in places such as Wales and other places throughout Europe, and they were actually using some of this. I know we are using some of this in the United States. I know it's a recommendation from the World Health Organization, but they know better. And if you combine that with the fact that news has come out regarding North Carolina hospitals, including Duke University, Carolina Hospital, and ECO, ECU promoting, and even potentially, it sounds like they have performed transgender mutilation surgeries and things on two-year-olds. And this is crazy. We're going to talk about it today with licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparo. Michael's excellent because he has a faith-filled perspective on what's happening in the culture. He works firsthand on the front line addressing the sexualization and sexual deviances along with traumas uh, that many young people have experienced. But he's faithful to what the church teaches, that there's such a thing as male and female. And so we will dive in with Michael on that, but also have this perspective of, well, what do kids need to know? How do we start to address the radical sexualization of children today because it's a real challenge and we're in the midst of celebrating today the feast day of the visitation of our lady i can't help but look at what's happening right now there's a war raging especially here in southern california over the target and the dodgers debacle entering into pride month and i look at our lady on the feast day of the visitation and if you don't know what that is that's where our lady Pretty much right after she finds out she has a baby, according to sacred scripture, Luke chapter 3, great place to start reading those first couple chapters of Luke today, 1 and 2, uh, that she, after finding out she is pregnant, she goes after learning from the angel Gabriel that her cousin Elizabeth in her old age is pregnant, she goes to Elizabeth to care for her in her final months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And we see just this humility of Our Lady and what she says in that encounter with Elizabeth. It's the most words that Our Lady says at any point in sacred scripture right here at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And her humility is so prevalent, but also 
her answer to the call of what all of us are called to embody as human beings, that Jesus Christ showed us, that Our Lady showed us, that we're called to serve others in love. Jesus Christ himself said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And Our Lady shows that same witness. St. Joseph, those people closest to Jesus Christ, showed that example. So we'll talk a little bit later on today about the visitation of Mary. A little bit of a relief after some of the hot topics uh, that we're covering today on Trending. Joining me today on Trending is Michael Gaspar. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He is on the front line addressing the crisis of sexual deviance in our culture from the LGBTQ challenges that we are experiencing. I want to update you on a little bit of what's going on right now. So over the last couple of weeks, there have been more and more things, I think, where people suddenly are realizing, hey, this transgender crisis, this LGBTQ challenge and ideology in the culture, it's been around for years. It's been prevalent but behind the scenes. There have been interviews. I was just listening to an interview with Sloane Retchmuth. From the pres- she's the president of Education First Alliance, and she's blowing the whistle on what's ha- happening in the state of North Carolina, of all places, not somewhere that you would consider to be a California. And it has to do with how they're aiming for toddlers, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, uh, to go through with gender transition surgery. That's right. So North Carolina hospitals, including Duke University Hospital, University of North Carolina Hospital, and the ECU Hospital are promoting and potentially even performing transgender mutilation surgeries on two-year-olds. Because who are we to say if someone's a boy or a girl? And we definitely want to stop any type of wrong development of puberty in a child. We don't want someone to go through the wrong puberty, as some people are saying. This is unbelievable. So what we're seeing actually in North Carolina, especially coming from Duke University Hospital along with the others, they're training educators and medical professionals in pronoun usage and as well as with the, the transition of these children, encouraging parents to question and even transition their children if there's something that they can somehow slap onto the child that makes them think that they may not be male or female. So there's even a video that circulated from Duke, a Duke psychiatrist showing that he presents standards in the education system for brainwashing kids in terms of how to push forward a gender ideology. And we're talking about very little children. But all of that combined, this is what I want to talk to Michael Gaspar about. Combine that with what the World Health Organization is doing. Michael, I want to share with you a little bit as well about what's happening from the WHO. They have made some recommendations on sexuality for infants age zero to four. I have a two-year-old. I have a five-month-old. The WHO curriculum is scandalous. They're encouraging little two, three, and four-year-olds to ask questions about their sexuality, explore their identity, and even enjoy, quote, early childhood masturbation. I'm looking at the pages from their curriculum that they recommend. They even make comments having to do with consent that are very bizarre, where they say things such as, if the feeling is not good, you do not always have to comply. What does that mean? They're also talking about things such as diversity and same-sex parents. So for these things to be pushed through by talking about, quote, different types of relationships and attitudes that are held toward them. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro. Michael, you were addressing the crisis of gender ideology front on as you are working with people who are struggling with their gender identity, sexual deviances, and trauma from their childhood. You respond to this with sound therapy as well as a Catholic perspective. 
what do you make of what's happening and it what happens when we sexualize and expose a child at such a young age as a toddler to content such as this it's a lot of confusing ideas we're hearing i definitely think it's worth following up about which hospitals are doing which things i understand that the ap uh, has the associated press has claimed that some of the, the online graphics related to transitions for two-year-olds may or may not be what Duke University actually put out. But what's interesting, I don't know, I haven't followed up with a ton of research on this, on that particular claim, Simri, but I did notice that a simple Google search for Duke University in general shows that for children 16 and older, I mean, this is boldly public, dukehealth.org, we provide gender-affirming hormone therapy. So, you know, what age they start this for minors is important, but the fact that they're starting it at all for minors and the fact that the publicly facing documents show that as early as 16, if not much, much younger, that this is happening at Duke in particular is shocking. These are kids that aren't even allowed to have a tattoo put onto their bodies without uh, parental consent. And at the end of the day, with children in particular, it is normal for children to be understanding and trying to identify with their emerging body. But as Catholics, we know that there is a proper time and a place and a developmental process that we explain these things to children. And the World Health Organization is not alone. The UN is known for pushing through ideological ideas from an LGBTQ lens into aid packages and into Mm -hmm. legislation that tries to foist this type of ideological colonization onto developing nations, African countries. And Catholics need to be really savvy about the confusion that can come from poor information and harmful information, either given too early or given at all to children. We're seeing the fallout of teenagers and, might I argue, preteens with regard to girls and their exposure to the objectification of themselves on social media, as well as boys and the exposure, predominantly more so with boys to pornography. What about toddlers, though? I know that you don't specialize in childhood development, but you work with a lot of people who have experienced traumas of sexualization at a young age. What happens when this content is given to them too soon? Does that cause confusion by the way it's being fostered in these children? I think one of the biggest issues that you're touching on here, Timory, is that people are not doing enough, not nearly enough, when they are presented with a child who has transgender ideology that has been pushed onto them. They're not saying what is contributing to why this child is confused. On the Duke Health website, it says their team of specialists investigate and includes a pediatric endocrinologist and a pediatric urologist and a social worker and psychologist and psychiatrist and spiritual care. I would love to know what kind of spiritual perspective they're providing because we know as Catholics that a child is born body and soul, male or female. So Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no confusion about that. We're made in God's image and likeness, male or female, and children need to have their body as a compass for that. So when they, when they are presented, you know, Tim and I, you were at a conference discussing how we address these topics with children. We want to reduce confusion with children and say to them, look to your body for the answer. And in a vast, vast majority of cases, there's not even any question about the biological sex of a child. And, and for a lot of my clients, Timory, they have experienced 
severe, I've worked with many people who had severe abuse in childhood, both Mm -hmm. emotional, physical, sexual abuse. And that influence as adults, they look back and they see that had an impact on their sexual identity, on their sexual behaviors. Mm -hmm. And if we don't investigate that thoroughly, when children come to us with distress about something as basic as their nature of their gender, their biology, their sex, we are going to usually many times miss big red flags that need to be addressed from a holistic care perspective for these children. I appreciate that you especially said, look to your body for the answer when there's confusion. I keep thinking of the story of Chloe Cole, who recently shared her testimony here on Trendy and we'll link to it on social media. She went through with a full transition when she was about 15 years old and by the age of 16 was transitioning out. And it was because she saw a child development class and psychology class where she saw the psychological, the physical, the emotional benefits of a mother nursing her baby. And she realized after going through a double mastectomy that she would never be able to nurse her own child. And that was the catalyst for her transitioning back to her female identity, at least in the exterior, in terms of the social transition. And she shared her story. It was so profound. She shared it so heroically here on Trending a couple weeks ago. But what stood out to me, one thing in her story, Michael, was that when she started to do the, go through this crisis because of social media, she went to her parents and her parents had this response of, we don't know anything about this. So they went to look toward experts, medical experts and therapists, and they let her down. And that's what's frightening about Duke University and the other hospital, university hospitals out in North Carolina, is that they are letting parents down with a lie that does not look to the body for an answer and doesn't even look to the potential of harm from sex from the sexualization via social media or even things such as sexual abuse, as you mentioned, how that impacts sexual proclivity. Yeah, and what we know as Catholics, and you and I have talked a lot about this together, Timory, is that the body is good. God made us good, body and soul. Yes, we are fallen in our nature. We have been wounded by original sin, but original sin does not totally deprave the human condition. It deprives us of our initial uh, wholeness, but it doesn't make us depraved. And our nature, we are created in God's image and likeness, male or female, and it is good. And what is really beautiful about that is in almost a, like one out of every, I think estimates are one out of every 2,000 live births, there might be some genetic questions about intersex issues. That is not what we're talking about when we're talking about the vast, vast majority of transgender issues. We're talking about psychological condition that needs the help of a practitioner who acknowledges whether or not they're Catholic, they can still acknowledge the body and soul, the goodness of this child as they are, and help them reclaim their identity based in their biology, which is so freeing and important. We should not dismiss the distress of these children who have some sense of gender discordance, but the solution cannot involve pitting them against their own God-given gift of their body. Michael, I, and you're, you're just joining us. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gusper. He works on the front line of working with people who are struggling with this LGBTQ ideology, how it's impacted them, whether through sexual abuse, social media, you name it. Uh, many very caveats, different caveats. But with the World Health Organization, along with university medical schools out of North Carolina, just some of whom we know of, including Duke University, pushing this transgender ideology on little kids, especially toddlers, I want to hear your thoughts on what happens when a child as a young infant 
um, is continuously told, question your identity, question your identity. What does that do psychologically to a little child in terms of an existential crisis for them? I think what's great about this, Timory, is that most I'm a psychological professional. However, you don't have to be a psychological professional to know something is unhealthy when you see it. And so what children need is what we all need and want, which is a sense of belonging, that we are significant and that we belong. We both belong in our families, but we belong to ourselves and we belong to God. And it's very hard to get a sense that you belong to a family if you don't first learn that you belong to yourself. God gives us the gift of our lovable selves, and we get to keep that gift even if we reject God. Sadly, that's what hell is. We have rejected God into eternity, but we don't even lose the gift of ourself. We still have our existence, our being. So this, this unbelievable free gift that God gives us, the gift of our lovable selves, body and soul. And so when we tell children to question their identity of their very body, we foster a mistrust of the self. And this is not a, a trust of the self that would be called like self-reliance. No, it's a trust of the self in the way that God gave it to us. For instance, we don't tell children, question, don't trust whether or not your heart will pump blood. <laughs> don't trust whether or not your kidneys will process urine or your bladder will help you go to the restroom. We encourage them to trust that their body functions as it was given to them. So, too, we should help them to trust that their sexual identity is rooted in the body that they were given. And this will help establish a sense of flourishing, a sense of, of gratitude for the gift of themselves. That is a joy that we can share with the world. We, and I'm framing it this way on purpose, Timory, because I want us to, as Catholics, have the language of the beautiful vision we can sell to the culture. Not just a don't do what they're doing, but hey, look at this thing we see and do and approach about our sexual identity and our bodies that can sell people on a more beautiful vision of the human person. Mm. Michael, I think that's so helpful, understanding what happens when we throw people off course. And even just this idea of attachment theory and how when a little child is said, oh, is told, well, you're not a female or you're not a male. And then someone says, well, how does your mom know if she's a woman or your dad know if he's a man? And they encourage these kids to doubt things. That That is like drawing an absolute crisis to who centers their world, right? I mean, they learn about themselves in relation to how their mom and dad interact with them. And so the, the challenges here, and I feel like this is literally to put this ideology on an infant, a two-year-old. I couldn't even imagine. My daughter's two. If I mean, I'm going to talk about this later on. I'm teaching her about a little bit about knowing what the difference is between men and women. And it's very simple. But if I were to start to use confusing language to her, She's mm -hmm. already, she would be so confused, right? Have so many questions and doubt even me because I'm giving her inconsistent answers. Yeah, and there's a psychological and the spiritual. And as Catholics, we don't separate, we don't pit one against the other. We see them as both important. And this is why Pope Francis says this, you know, and echoing Pope Benedict when he, the late Pope Benedict, when he said, we're in the age of sin against God, the creator who created us male and female. Because essentially, the devil divides. To be diabolical is to divide. And gender ideology tries to pit us against ourselves, to divide ourselves from our body and our soul. No, we say as Catholics, it's truly one nature. And so, yeah, it's simple. It's, it's childlike. We can be like children in this way. And it's really sad. I think especially what's bizarre, Timory, is that when we're talking about this issue of gender ideology, when you and I were kids, and I was growing up in the 90s, 
many people had sexuality confusion. It's not that there wasn't this existence of homosexuality or sexuality confusion, but most of the people that had sexuality confusion just identified it as same-sex sexual issues, not a question of whether or not they were a boy or a girl. And uh, in the past, a vast majority of the children who had some kind of gender dysphoria simply grew out of it. Many of them retained same-sex sexual issues into adulthood. But what I think is maybe even happening is the phenomena of some of these kids who might have some sexuality issues are now almost having compounded issues because they're allowing that to escalate further into even gender identity and not simply Mm -hmm. a sexual confusion, but now a sexual identity crisis. Right. And often for many people, especially with the influence of social media and pornography, it's often discomfort in their own bodies or insecurity because of relationships with mom and dad that went askew at some point. And so I think that's such an important note that you're making. If you're just joining us, that's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro. Michael, with looking at what the World Health Organization is encouraging educators to do with encouraging, and I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth right now, encouraging toddlers to enjoy things such as masturbation. Can you say for just a moment and I again I shouldn't even have to ask this question what is the harm in a toddler being encouraged to do such a thing it's you know it's really sensitive too because when we're talking to kids often as you know and I'll caveat this that child development is not my main focus but when children are beginning to learn about their sexual organs a lot of times young children will touch themselves or they'll notice that there's pleasure sensations when they are touched to help them put on their clothes or take, you know, put on their diaper or whatever. And so children are aware that there's pleasure in the body. So we don't, as Catholics, we don't want to add shame to the reality that certain parts of the body are ticklish or feel pleasurable, but we also want to help immediately from an early age set proper boundaries for children. Yes, it's your body and God gave it to you and it's good. And when we touch it this way, that feels good. And there's a time and a place for Mm -hmm. us to touch our bodies the way we do. And, and so any type of whatever particular Catholic education you provide, I just recommend principles. I'm not going to give specific answers or feedback on what age and what timeline, but you should think to yourself, what is the way that this child, particular child, not every child you have, but this child needs me to talk about their body and what age are they and how does it fit with their intellect and their emotional development? And those things should be very sensitive and gentle. They should never be shame-based. We shouldn't be advocating children who don't even fully understand sexuality to do sexual things. And especially keep in mind that the Catholic moral lens has a framework for things should never be, certain things should never be encouraged. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, all those And that's masturbating, said, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So like a, a Catholic parent would never encourage their child to masturbate at any age, but right. they're not even going to discuss it with a child who doesn't even understand what that means. Precisely. At some point, a, a Catholic adult parent We'll have to discuss that topic with their child, but it should only be at an age when it's naturally emerging, probably around puberty, and then it should be discussed within a Catholic moral lens. And just to be clear what Michael said, a Catholic parent should discuss the topic of masturbation with their child at some point, because I'm seeing, you know, especially traveling across the country, dealing with the sexual fallout, I hear so many young people who never knew. No one told them this was wrong. No one told them, okay, there's pleasure, but there's also this addressing of recognizing why this is a gift and meant to be used within a particular way. And so I think that's so important. Uh, we're going to come back. I do have a question. You know, we'll talk about sexual development and needs for this, but we're also going to dive into the fact that, hey, 
Pride Month starts next month. Maybe you feel like it started a long time ago with how things are going the last couple of weeks. But what is a Christian's response to Pride Month? And also, we'll touch on what a child does need with regard to healthy sexual development here on Trending. We'll be right back with licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro here on Trending. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. We're going to talk a little bit more later on in the show, talking to kids about their bodies and how to understand their bodies and sexuality in an age-appropriate way. But before we transition into talking to my guest today, licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro, about what is a Christian response to Pride Month? He deals on the front line with a transgender LGBTQ crisis of ideology that's being pushed down our throats. We'll talk about that in a moment, but Michael, I did want to hear kind of your initial thoughts on this. What do kids need in light of what's happening with the World Health Organization, a lot of our universities and hospitals pushing a trans ideology on children, as I covered earlier, on infants age zero to four? What do kids need from their parents on a psychological level to help develop a healthy sense of sexual identity? Well, that we could do many episodes on this, but yeah. starting out, I would say, first of all, encourage parents to reflect on their own understanding of their sexual identity as male or female given to them by God, body and soul. And in that reflection process, examine fear they might have of sexuality or shame they might have about it. We're less likely to put negative spin on things with our children if we're really patient and bring to God in prayer and to our, our spouse, perhaps how we think and feel about ourselves first. So it's an introspective approach that I recommend first. In terms of the practicals, acknowledging your children are going to develop uniquely is important. So each child is going to develop emotionally and cognitively at a different pace than the other child in your family. So it's really good to be patient and see your children as individuals and not like at age five, this is what we do exactly with every child. And then lastly, just trust their instincts and their Catholic faith and their conscience on faith and morals. Catholic morality is not repressive. Catholic morality is liberating, but it needs to be presented in a way that is not based in fear, but is based in, in um, honoring the goodness of the body and the gift of sexuality, but pro- brought into its proper context based on your age and your state in life. And and I would just point parents to great resources. So one thing, Timory, is you and I have talked about this, and you've probably spoken about it before, personandidentity.com has fantastic resources for parents. They have a whole tab of resources, toolkits, and ways of talking about uh, these issues with parents, both in terms of education and at-home discussions. So looking to your your local diocese, but also to um, nonprofits like personandidentity.com for that support, and then talking to your other Catholic parents. Be a supportive community of one another. I love these resources. Personandidentity.com will post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes. And I'll have more recommendations later on the show because we're going to talk about how to have some of those conversations with your kids in an age-appropriate way. And I have tons of resources from just dealing with the question in general, the birds and the bees, to also uh, confronting it from the perspective of gender. Okay, Michael, I want to dive into the fact that tomorrow is the beginning, unfortunately, of what some people proclaim to be 
Pride Month. It used to be a day, now it seems to be not just the month of June, but the many weeks leading up to uh, June. I mean, we've seen the war over Dodgers and Target. A lot of ink has been spilled in conversations on that topic. But you work on the front on the front end with the challenge of uh, people who are struggling with same-sex attraction through your therapy. You also have shared your own testimony here on Trending before. Can you talk to me about what our response should be uh, to Pride Month as we come into this very challenging month to watch TV, to uh, go shopping, to be begged for donations for really bad organizations? What should our response be? The first angle I'm going to take that comes to mind, Timory, is a personal one. It is hard to be a Catholic person who struggles with same-sex attraction if you see a lot of other Catholic people celebrating Pride Month and you're as an individual trying to trust God and maybe follow what the church has to offer in terms of guidance. Not because I become resentful of others, because I'm human. There before the grace of God go I. I'm not a poster boy. I'm, I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy. But I need encouragement. I need I need people in my corner who are like, hey, this this vision that the church has for your life is good and beautiful and it's worth continuing to get up and keep going when you fall down or have doubt or insecurity. And it can, you know, people often talk about the benefit of supporting people through Pride Month, but they don't talk about what it what it says, the message it sends implicitly to people who don't who try to follow what the church or trust what the church is teaching. So just keep in mind the people in your life who might need encouragement. I know this is a very hard time for a lot of men and women who go to ministries like Courage, which is the apostolate from the Roman Catholic Church for men and women who struggle with same-sex attraction. And I, I just really want to encourage people to pray for them and encourage them to not lose hope or lose heart because the, the culture at large is so one-sided on this. And then when the church, it bleeds into the church itself and the, the body of believers it can just feel overwhelming. It is. It, it's an interesting perspective that you mentioned, because I didn't think about it from the perspective of those people who, you know, who have experienced same-sex attraction, who might be struggling. They're looking, you know, how are we responding in the culture? What is or isn't being encouraged? I know from my perspective, you know, as a mom now, I'm starting to look out and recognize, okay, my daughter's two. She's starting to see things. She might, you know, ask questions or something might just be in her memory. She doesn't know what to make of, and she can't necessarily vocalize that it's, something that she's pondering or not and so on one end i know a lot of people might say stay home turn off the tv and don't go shopping for the next month and i get that because you're having to address very scandalous things but i mean at least being here in southern california you address it either way you know we went for an event for mother's day and there was a couple being very 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 uh let's just say, blunt in their behavior. And I don't think any of our family really tried to pay attention and tried to ignore it, but I just started to realize for the first time, oh goodness, in a couple of years from now, my daughter's going to see that. And as if it's being normalized. And so I think that you also have that perspective of kids addressing it as well, but also sometimes, Michael, parents not knowing uh, or just any of us adults not ho knowing how to respond. I remember last year during Pride Month, I accidentally went shopping that month at a mall and everywhere's covered in pride content everywhere i bought something there was that question would you like to donate to this organization that and i very politely said no thank you i started to say no thank you i don't support that and then finally one of the last places that was asking me to donate was asking me to donate to glisten which i talked a little bit about yesterday they push pro lgbtq content in schools and try to force 
um, ways of interacting with kids, even three and four year olds, uh, that you hide identity from parents even as young as three years old if the kid's questioning anything or struggling. And this organization, Glisten, I think it was like, I don't know, somewhere like Old Navy or somewhere like that that was donating to Glisten and asked me to donate money. And I was infuriated. I had spent hours just trying to get my shopping done. This whole thing's being thrown in my face. I'm being pressured to donate, receiving guilty looks from people because I'm not interested. And I think at a certain point, people might just explode or say something they don't mean. And so what is their charitable response in moments such as that? Or is it hide at home for the next month? Yeah, and I unfortunately I cut out for just a minute, so I didn't hear everything you just said, but I think the gist of it is, for me, it's going to take prudential judgment. You know, of course, if you're a parent and you have children, you're going to avoid certain parts of town that there might be really scandalous things happening that are inappropriate for your kids to see, but some of that might be unavoidable. And so having mm-hmm. frank conversations and preparing yourself to answer difficult questions is a good thing, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. In terms of a charitable response, it's okay to feel angry. I'm angry. You know, we get angry when we sense and perceive injustice or unfairness. And it's it's really unfair how much this is being pushed on people. And it's not just. There is something good that is at the core that people hope for, which is often in the name of justice. They want to be more accepting and, and kind to people. Okay, we can get on board with that part as Catholics. We should treat everybody with compassion sensitivity and respect, but there are things that are not fair, right, or just. And if anger comes up as a result, I recommend people think about how they can guide their anger towards right action. As an example, you can boycott a store that you think is unfairly pushing ideology on on people that you don't approve of or like, or you can choose to speak out on social media about that. Those are maybe charitable ways of channeling some of this frustration or prayer. You know, can we honestly, Tim, it's hard. We pray for those who persecute us or we disagree with. Let's pray for people that are pushing this ideology during this month. Let's Mm -hmm. counteract with something beautiful and not just respond or react in a way that maybe we'll regret later. And a little response with regard to patience. It dawned on me when I was shopping last year during Pride Month and I was infuriated. I had a one-year-old pulling on me. I never go shopping. <laughs> you know, she's <laughs> pulling on my clothes. I'm just trying to buy something. And, uh, you know, she's a ticking time bomb in terms of just being tired and grumpy and needing to eat. And I'm at the last store and they're trying to get me to donate to Glisten. And I was lit. And all of a sudden I realized <laughs> she's being told to do this. Don't take it out on her. And so I said something along the lines. I don't remember exactly. I don't support those harmful ideas for minors. I understand it's not your choice to promote that, but I really wish you guys would stop forcing us to talk about this or pressure us and guilt us into donating Mm -hmm. when we're just trying to go shopping. I, I was so upset. And she, I think, respectfully could accept what I was saying to her because I said, I understand it's not your choice. And sometimes it's not when they're asking you to donate to these organizations. They don't mm-hmm. have a choice in the matter. They didn't. They may have put up the LGBTQ things in the window, but that may not be their ideology. They're just they're working a minimum wage job trying to get by in life. And so I do think we kind of have to remember that as well when we might be a little frustrated like I was that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally understandable. And you're right, at the end of the day, the kind of reactions we want to give or or the responses are ones that we wish we could be proud of later if like a group of our friends watched a video of us 
Um, but at the same time, we're human and we're imperfect. We're going to make mistakes in how we respond. And it is frustrating. You know, if you go for in Los Angeles, if you go to the Grove, which is a very prominent mm-hmm. outdoor mall, it's, it's people go there for entertainment and Beautiful. with families. And the, the entire thing is covered in rainbows. Every storefront, every door. And, you know, that's a Christian symbol and sign that we right. like to use in our religion as well. So one way that you, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the cuff here, is you can talk to your kid about, if they ask about the rainbow, explain, focus on the Christian understanding of the rainbow. Let's reclaim the rainbow. And so there are ways we can try to pivot the narrative and, and turn it to our advantage and also demonstrate that we are going to rise above their hateful discrimination towards Christians at times, like with the Dodgers. But we don't have to support everyone with our dollar or with our ideas just because it's unpopular to do so. So don't be afraid to say, like, good for you, Timmy, for saying, I don't support that. And I don't want you to say, put that on me. Because feedback to businesses ultimately might result in some change. And I hope some of these boycotts make businesses think twice about the customers they're trying to serve. And just a thought too, Michael, the month of June is the month of the Sacred Heart. And so as we might say, hey, it's Pride Month, it's not. It's what people try to call it. Uh, let's just stay focused and even just pondering those wounds that we put on Christ. It's not just a LGBTQ movement, but it's also us and the things that we do that are inconsistent in our behavior that uh, just add to the reasons why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for us. And so trying to keep ourselves accountable in our own lives. I know confession is so helpful for accountability in terms of how I respond and at times react to what's happening in the culture as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it was Hans Urzma Balthasar that said, we should, I'm summarizing, but we should, we should be concerned more for our own salvation than for anyone else's. And so, you know, it is easy if, as the culture acquiesces to this LGBT ideology, especially in June, to get over fixated on everybody else's behavior or reactions. And you're right, like reflecting on first and foremost before the Lord, what is God inviting me in my own life to surrender, to open my heart more deeply to his love? And so that might be conformed more to the sacred heart. That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro, who's on the front line of addressing the LGBTQ challenge in our culture today. And just a a comment that came in from Tino from Salt Lake City, and I 100% agree with it. He said, my response, that is to Pride Month, is that that is child abuse. The ideology is being propagated. This is child abuse, plain and simple. And I think even with the whole thing with the Dodgers, that's child abuse, what we're showing kids. It's an offense to our religion, but it's child abuse to show such content in a family-friendly environment. So again, that's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro. You can find him at catholictherapist.com. We'll post a link on social media. Thank you for what you're doing. We're praying for you and your work. You're on the front line, and we so appreciate it. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about how to discuss sexuality with your kids when it's being thrown down their throats everywhere in the coming month, as well as on social media and everywhere else today. I'll be right back with some funny stories as well about teaching my children, much to the dismay of many adults, uh, the proper words for the anatomy of their body. It's been actually somewhat entertaining, such a simple thing, yet seemingly a taboo for our culture. I'll be back in just a moment. listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. My head is 
spinning from already everything that's been going on lately with gender ideology, the LGBTQ movement. We're not even in Pride Month. That's why we talked about what's the Christian response as we come into Pride Month. But what I want to talk about now with everything, what I shared with you earlier about the World Health Organization pushing the sexualization of young children, zero to four-year-olds, along with places such as Duke University Hospital and others also transitioning two-year-olds. How do we talk to kids about sex in this overly sexualized culture? I'm receiving a lot of questions. Anna has said, hey, I know you talked about a book before on talking to your kids about sex. What is that book? I also received another email from Cleopatra. She's not resurrected from the past. It's not reincarnation, but she had a similar question. You know, her daughter's entering into fifth grade, and she's what's appropriate to talk about puberty, sex, all of these things. I think these are really important questions, and we need to not shy away from them. And I am learning as a parent that I have chosen to have a little bit more of a, um, I think, candid perspective that is different from what we've seen in the culture with regard to being honest, or not honest, but comfortable with talking about things such as body parts. It's been a real kicker to see how people cringe at that one. (laughs) I'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, But how do you talk to your kids about this issue? Age appropriate? It's not a one-and-done conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. And there's a book that I really love that helps you to start really young with how to address this. It's called Tips for Talking to Your Kids About Sex. It's put out by Kena Fox. I actually did a whole episode on this, I think, about a year or two ago. We'll have to post a link to that episode as well because it was so helpful. But it really was understand, one, it's age-appropriate. Two, it's an ongoing conversation, and it really is guided in many ways by what they already know and what they're being exposed to. And so when your kids ask you questions, ask them questions back to find out what they know, and then gear it appropriately. So I'm just going to share kind of a couple really simple stories and then go from there. Um, we were at a family member's house a couple months ago, and a little eight-year-old boy was asking, where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? And, you know, he was eight years old and I was getting a really good chuckle out of a family member kind of cringing, going, oh, like not wanting to answer the question, trying to think of ways to be creative. And I and I'm laughing and she's looking at me. And she's like, well, what would you say? And I'm like, you're the mom. She's like, no, what would you say? And I and I'm laughing, saying, well, there's a hole near your bum where the baby comes out of. And and so I, I kind of say it quietly. I'm like, do you want me to say it? She's like, yeah, you say it. And I go, okay. And he goes, okay. And he walks away. It was as simple as that. And versus she was thinking about doing something creative, talking about the belly button, all of these things. But very simple, clear, age-appropriate things. And here's the thing. Often when the kids ask questions, they're looking to you as the parent to be the subject expert. They need something that makes sense, that is true, that isn't scandalous, and it's going to help them to satisfy a little bit of curiosity they have so that when they have more curiosity, they know where to come from, come to. And often again, they're satisfied with really simple answers. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a conference with Mark Houck, who's very well known in the media for being uh, his family, uh, being targeted by the FBI, him being removed from the home and being taken into custody by the FBI and also being exonerated um, for his pro-life work. But Mark Houck and I were at a conference a few years back, about five years ago, we were talking about the sexual development of young boys, and we were both speaking at the conference. And he shared a story that's always resonated with me. He was sharing about how his very little boy, very little boy, uh, was 
starting to experience movement in his body that was different, right? Men do and little boys do. And he ended up, Mark had noticed, you know, some discomfort with him and a little bit of kind of what seemed to be shame. And so he asked his son something. And basically, he looked at his son as his son's looking at him feeling uncomfortable and awkward and wondering, like, Daddy, is this okay? And Mark took him, told him, hey, you're just like your dad, bud. That's okay. You're just like your dad. Your body's growing. You're going to be just like your dad. Little boy relaxed. There's nothing wrong. This is natural. My body's changing. Things are happening. You know, these simple answers that satisfy and help because kids do start to experience shame when they start to understand or discover different things about their bodies. And so I think tips for talking to your kids about sex gives you a lot of guidelines for how to start having an ongoing age-appropriate conversation where you're hands-on. One of the things they really do recommend is teaching the appropriate anatomical words for body parts, teaching the anatomy. And (laughs) someone recently said, of course, Timory teaches those words that we are very often uncomfortable using. We call them the V word or the P word, a V word for a woman, that women have vaginas and and men have penises, that we're not comfortable having those conversations. Yet those are body parts that we honor and respect that have functional purposes and age-appropriate, we should be able to express that. And I think this is very important not to scare us, but to be real. When children cannot name body parts when they have been abused and a police officer, a social worker is trying to prosecute in the case, bring some conviction about, and a child cannot refer to the proper word for their body that has been assaulted, they cannot The people set up in our legal system to protect children cannot prosecute or go after abusers when kids know silly nicknames or don't know names at all. And so that's one reason. Another reason is, is that we know, statistically speaking, when abusers are confronted with the word of a body part, it scares an abuser away. And so if a child knows these words, God forbid your child, my child is ever in a circumstance like this, the child is able to speak for themselves as someone inappropriately handled anything or if they were approached in any way kids can do that now i'm getting a little bit of a chuckle right now at the many adults who are uncomfortable with these words being used yet this is something that my husband and i recognize is appropriate and we're having to get comfortable using these words on a regular basis you know my daughter's two and she's saying you know i'm a i'm a girl you're a boy and she'll make jokes no 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 calling her little sister boy i said no your sister isn't a boy your little sister's a girl and she said no no she's a boy and i say no she's a girl and i say why and again it's a word we don't even want to use because she has a vagina right talking about how yes this is what this family member has this is what this family member has that's okay and having a very clear and simple conversation about that so that as a conversation progresses if a child can't even feel comfortable saying those words to their parents and vice versa how on earth are you ever going to have more serious conversations in this area I think we as adults tend to overly complicate and we need to simplify and I love again this book tips for talking to your kids about sex. So we'll post a link on social media. I think it's about $8 online. Uh, You can pick it up. It's simple. It's helping see. And if a kid's not satisfied with a response, then you work a little harder. And if you are bewildered, overwhelmed, and don't know what to say, you can say, that's a really good question. Let's talk about this tomorrow. Or 
Let's talk about this a little later on. You know, if you need to prepare yourself mentally and emotionally, maybe you want to have a more of a better answer than you were prepared to have, just delay a moment. Say, hey, I'll answer that question tomorrow. Often kids might not be happy with that, but I think those are some helpful things. As we're talking about the development of children and bodies, there's some great resources. We're going to post links to all of these. Uh, And, you know, actually a question just came. Is it possible to have this conversation over comfort food at home? That's a great question. I think we should be able to have these conversations anywhere. I sat around the dinner table having growing up having conversations about STDs because I worked in the pro-life movement. My mom did. And so, you know, there were, there were just table talk conversations I was familiar with. That's a good thing. And so <laughs> don't talk. someone's saying, don't talk about these conversations while eating fast food. I don't know. Or out. Oh, he said at a fast food joint. OK, <laughs> so here are some great books. Again, all age appropriate. I encourage reviewing these as parents. Really, really middle school on up. There's the theology of his body and theology of her body. It's a single book, front and back. You have the front side is theology of her ba- body, the back side theology of his body. It really gives a theological perspective as well on understanding and coming to a better knowledge of the complementarity of male and female, the mystery and gift of our bodies. Again, Michael Gaspar earlier on the show mentioned Person and Identity Project. That's Person and for and person and identity project we'll post the link online uh, there's also you know people are asking what do i do what recommendations do you have for parents educators youth ministers and talk about sexuality and lgbtq issues well one i think we have to recognize don't let everyone have the conversation for you this is why you have to start it early not inappropriately early simple age-appropriate language And we've got to shut off a lot of the television shows and movies and things that kids are hearing and seeing. And the reality is, is that porn is a major promoter of adverse lifestyles. Are kids prepared uh, to come to us if they've seen something they shouldn't see? There's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures uh, that is really helpful for parents. It's It's a picture book where you can talk to your kids through telling a story and having a conversation and prepare them on how to have a conversation with you if they ever are or if they ever have been exposed to inappropriate pictures. Uh, And this is important. Also, kids' books, toddler books, to teen fiction, a lot of it has inappropriate sexualized content. I remember a couple years ago, I had a Pilates client who's son and daughter was reading a novel series that I myself had picked up in the fantasy genre and I had to stop reading it because it was so explicit and inappropriate and the son had been reading novel after novel in this series and I said hey have you ever read it have you ever looked at a review because I'm sorry to approach you and again I think this is how I found out that we were both Catholic I'm sorry to like say this and be really blunt but I just want you to know that there's sexually explicit content in this book she was horrified she had no idea she immediately turned and asked her son if he had read anything inappropriate he turns around no 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 and like it's really really awkward and is kind of hiding the book so what I'm saying is we've got to be prepared with a lot of these resources to start talking so if they're exposed to things we can discuss it but also we are absolutely vetting content ahead at a time. I know it's not fun, but there are resources out there. And there are other books such as Made This Way by Trent Horn and Layla Miller. Great resource. Dr. Leonard Sachs has three books, Girls on the Edge, Boys Adrift, and Why Gender Matters. Parents Guide to Preventing Homosexuality by Dr. Nicolosi about sexual development and many others. We're going to post more of a comprehensive list online, but that key book that I would say is really that tips for talking to your kids about sex. It's an inexpensive book. I highly recommend it. We're posting on social media. 
free advice from a Catholic therapist. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. That's what we are doing Thursday on Trending. So join me as it's your opportunity to ask a therapist free advice from a Catholic perspective. How refreshing from mental health challenges, relationships, parenting, you name it. Joe Sacora will be with me. So join me Thursday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.